this summer we have been exploring the songs and the prayers offered to God by the nation of Israel as recorded in the book of Psalms. These songs and prayers are raw expressions of praise, faith, sorrow, frustration that cover the range and the authenticity of human emotions. I do not know if Woodland or if you individually have ever studied the Psalms or a good portion of them, but if you have been with us this month or have ever studied and meditated on the Psalms, you will notice that some Psalms are hymns of praise with praise for who God is and for His power and mercy. Others are what we call laments that express an emotion opposite that of praise. In the lament, the psalmist opens his heart honestly to God, a heart often filled with sadness, fear, uh, even anger. There are also thanksgiving psalms that are appropriate when the Lord answered a prayer of lament. Psalm psalms are songs of confidence with trust as their dominant mood and very often reflect on God as the king of the universe. There are even wisdom songs that teach us the joyful way of the Lord, commonly contrast the righteous with the wicked. The diversity found in the songs and prayers of God's people are unified by one element. They are centered upon the one and only living God, a refuge to all who trust in Him. The Psalms are a window into the worshiping life of the people of God, His people Israel, and even His people the church today. The recorded Psalms provide us with a great testimony of God's unending covenant love for His people, as well as words to say back to God when we don't know exactly how to express our joy, pain, need, even questions we have for God. The modern day theologian, and I'm going to use that term very loosely, the modern day theologian Bono of uh, U2 fame has recently uh, been quoted as saying, what's so powerful about the Psalms are, as well as their being gospel and songs of praise, they are also blues. Now, obviously, me and Bono have a difference of opinion. Last week I said psalms are country-western songs, and now Bono is saying they're blues. But he goes on to say, It is very important for Christians to be honest with God, which often you know God is much more interested in who you are than who you want to be. The psalms are probably most like the genre of music that speaks to you most clearly, apparently. But I hope you are beginning to cherish this great psalm book. Use it as a gift from God in your personal study and your worship of God. Last week, we began looking at what C.S. Lewis called the greatest poem in the Psalter, one of the greatest lyrics in all the world when he referred to Psalm 19. We only looked at the first six verses last week, so today, hopefully, we'll be able to see the rest of the psalm, specifically looking at verses 7 through 11. If you are able, I would like to invite you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. Psalm 19, 
the very words of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we come before you and we want you to join in. As we saw last week, the ceaseless, the pouring over song of creation. Singing of your majesty, singing of your glory. And Lord, as we look at the words that you have given to us as recorded in Scripture today, may they be planted deep within our hearts. May we hear them, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Would you take the message and transfer it from our eyes and ears to our hearts? And as we leave today, would you cause that message to go to our hands and our feet as we worship you and as we love others? Speak to us today. Remove our distractions from hearing clearly from you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we said when it comes to knowing who God is and what He is like and what He expects, it would be a fool's errand to just make idle speculations. It would be similar to being a contestant on the game show, Let's Make a Deal where you are left guessing where the real treasure is, and when you do make a choice, it could either be for a valuable prize, or often it could be a worthless zone. If we wish to know God in truth, we must rely on what He tells us about Himself. Thankfully, God is not a cosmic game show host keeping himself veiled, but has graciously unveiled the real treasure that is himself. He has made himself known. Verses 1 through 6 showed us that God has first revealed himself to all mankind through the song of creation. This is what is referred to as the general revelation of God, because 
Number one, the audience is general. The world is a stage for God, where His revelation takes place every day. Secondly, the content, while magnificent, is general. It's not a full revelation of God. It reveals to Him, uh, it reveals to us Him only as Creator. It does little, if anything, to reveal Him to us as holy, as Judge, as Son, as Savior, as Spirit. For us to know God as He is and for us to obey Him, we must have more than the revelation God gives us through what He has created. As glorious as the highest heavens may be and as breathtaking as the immensity of faith assuredly is, all pales in comparison with the glory of God revealed in His Word. John Calvin said, From nature we know only the hands and the feet of God, but from Scripture we may know His very heart. Just this past week, from Twitter, someone wrote, If we didn't have the Bible, we'd be flipping coins. We'd be pulling petals off daisies. He loves me. He loves me not. But, as we're going to see today, God has fully and authoritatively revealed His character, as well as how we may know and experience Him through His very words of Scripture. Christianity is the true worship and service of the true God, mankind's creator, who has been revealed to all people, and redeemer, who is revealed in the living word of Jesus and the written word of Scripture. It is a relationship, Christianity is a relationship that rests on revelation. Nobody would know the truth about God nor be able to relate to Him in a personal way had God not first acted to make Himself known. But God has so acted. In the 66 books of the Bible, 39 written before Christ and 27 after are together the record, interpretation, and expression of His self-disclosure. In verses 7 through 11, there are six declarations that tell us what the Bible is and what the Bible does. There are six nouns, six adjectives, and six verbs. Last week was the astronomy lesson. This week may be a grammar lesson. A little cross-curricular education this morning. Six nouns, six adjectives, six verbs. The nouns tell us the identity of the Word of God. The adjectives tell us the quality of the Word of God. And the verbs tell us the function of Scripture. Now, this is a bonus for you because I'm almost taking this for granted that we believe that the Word of God is the inspired, the authoritative, the sufficient, the inerrant Word of God. I'm going to take that for granted. Hopefully that's what we believe here at Woodland. I know that's what Woodland believes. Hopefully that's what you believe. But I do want you to see in these six verses the intentionality of David to continually say each and every time, of the Lord. 
David is teaching us that Scripture is the very words of God. The first statement, and if you're taking notes, they're just going to go in order. Noun, adjective, verb. Okay? Statement number one, declaration number one, what the Bible is, what the Bible does. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. As for its identity, it is law or instruction, pointing us in the direction that is right and away from what is wrong. Notice, it does this perfectly, without the slightest defect, never lacking what is needed to address our circumstances. You hear some say that there is great mystery in discovering what God wants us to do. What does God say is right? What does God say is wrong? How can I discover God's will? It's not a mystery. People who say that are not students, I believe, are not students of the Word. It is clear direction pointing us to what is right, away from what is wrong. Scripture's function is to revive our souls, to refresh, renew us, and to remind us that the pleasures of obedience to God's law are delightfully superior to all the rival things that would lead us in another direction. The second declaration, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Scripture is the record of God's own witness to who He is and what He will provide for us in Jesus. The testimony is sure, which is to say it is true in principle and it is verifiable in life situations. The Bible takes the undiscerning, the naive, and the gullible person and makes them wise. The person who is immersed in the Word of God is equipped to choose wisely where no explicit direction is found. Once again, I've heard, and you've probably heard, and we've probably all said ourselves, that there are just so many gray areas in Scripture. There's too many gray areas in the Christian life. Well, I think what this is saying is that the more a person is in the Word, the more God's heart is revealed, and our hearts begin to sync up with His desires and His understanding. And there's not as much gray as we think there is. He gives understanding. He gives discernment to those who are His. The precepts, declaration number three, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts are a little bit different than the law of God in that it mainly refers to God's moral code, God's moral laws. When you see in this particular passage the use of the word precepts, they are right and they rejoice the heart. God's rules are never wrong. We can always rely on them to provide truth and accuracy. Those whose hearts are fixed on the precepts of the Lord is never at the whim of public opinion polls or the fickle fluctuations of human advice. 
The church, a true church, the Christian, does not ask the Supreme Court or any other human court for what is morally right or wrong. Marriage and other moral institutions and precepts are pre-political, defined by our Creator for His glory and our flourishing. In God's precepts, one finds cause for joy and reason for rejoicing. This is God's remedy for a sinking, sad, broken heart. Joy is not realized by always seeking our supposed rights. If your heart is sour and embittered and could use an injection of joy, memorize, meditate, mull over God's precepts. Fourth declaration. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The word pure may also be rendered radiant. God's commandments shine and glow and glimmer. They are brilliant and bright and dispel the darkness of human ignorance and senseless advice. Notice, in these statements that we've looked at previous, and this one, God has ordained the eye-opening work of His Spirit to always be combined with the mind-informing work of His Word. The eye-opening work of the Spirit is always combined with the mind-informing work of His Word. We need to stop looking everywhere besides the very words of God for insight or illumination. Hearing God's voice while mountain hiking or having Jesus calling you every morning is no replacement for the inspired, alive Word of God in Scripture. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Statement, declaration number five. David has in mind that fear of God that the Bible produces in us. It is clean, both in terms of its essence and its impact on our hearts. Its power and purpose never end. We can always count on God's Word to do its work, which is to produce a fear that lets us start hating the sin that enslaves us. God's Word does not change with the seasons or with fashions. God's Word is always in. The last declaration is the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What God says in His Word is never false or off the mark. His Word is the only barometer for reality. One never need again live in doubt and hesitation concerning what is righteous. We live in a culture that is getting further and further away from knowing what righteous is. The guesswork for us as God's children is gone. The certainty of God's Word is our foundation. 
Stay on the foundation. That is God's word. It is true and righteous altogether. Well, that is, according to our text, what the Bible is and what the Bible does. But the best part of all is that the word of God brings us satisfaction and joy and delight so that we will not be enticed and tempted by the passing pleasures of sin. After all, this is the ultimate desire for one who is truly an adopted child of God. To enjoy the things of God, specifically His Word, over the passing pleasures of sin. The laws and precepts and commandments of God's Word are to be, are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. What are these benefits? What is this great reward that verse 11 is talking about that makes meditating on the Bible so much better than much fine gold? I think the first personal benefit and the great reward of meditating on the Word of God is the benefit of life. The benefit of life. It's the first thing David mentions because it's the basis of everything else. In verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Another good translation would be restoring the life. Life is either non-existent or it's in jeopardy and the law of the Lord brings it back. Jesus himself said that man shall not live by bread alone, but shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You cannot maintain dynamic, powerful, vibrant life in God if you neglect the Word of God. Because it perfectly revives the soul. Our life begins with the Word. When God spoke creation. When God spoke and woke our hearts up to a new creation. Our life begins with the Word. We stay alive by the Word. If we abandon the Word of God, we will die spiritually. Only the Word of God gives the life which matters in the end. Can you imagine someone on their deathbed whispering to an attending family member, please read to me the figures of my savings account. Read to me from my portfolio. Or perhaps read to me the latest gossip in Hollywood from one of my magazines. But you can all imagine ourselves in that hour saying, read to me Psalm 23. Read Romans 8. Read... Revelation 21. The benefit of life. Secondly, there's the benefit of wisdom. We see this with the words making wise the simple and enlightening the eyes. A wise person is a person whose life makes sense in the light of reality. For example, self-denial will look foolish and laying up treasures on earth will look wise only if we are in the dark about the reality of heaven and the danger of riches and the reward of sacrifice. 
But if you live in the light of the reality of heaven and the dangers of riches and the rewards of sacrifice, then it makes sense to obey the command of the Lord to deny yourself for His sake. Where is the light of reality shining? Where do we get out of the kingdom of darkness? We go to the Word of God. All day long, unreality is being preached to us by secular voices of the land. God is the essential reality. Everything disconnected from God is unreal in the way it was meant to function. How do we escape? The commandment of the Lord gives light to the eyes. And the light of reality shines from the Bible, not from the God-ignoring world. There's the benefit of joy. The Word of God is the best source of deepest and lasting joy. This comes out in two places. Rejoicing the heart, and then sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The Word of God rejoices the heart and has an effect in our lives that compares to eating the most enjoyable thing David could think of. Fresh honey straight from the comb. Immediately I think of that Duck Dynasty episode, I don't know if you saw it, where they were so convinced to go get that fresh honeycomb, they were going to suck the honey or get the honeycomb with a shop vac and battle the bees. Maybe David looks something like Willie from Duck Dynasty. I don't know. Maybe you need to change the food imagery to whatever it is that you enjoy. I introduced my sister a week ago to Muddy's Cupcakes. So I had to go back again last night to Muddy's Cupcakes. You know, whatever it is, fresh cupcake from the store, God's Word gives us better joy than that. Well, how can I do this? How can I experience this? Maybe you're saying, I've tried that. I've tried to get into the Word. And it doesn't do what you're saying it's doing. It's supposed to do. I've walked away wanting. Am I not doing it right? I want to close with just talking a little bit about the process of meditation. Taking it all in. Pondering and enjoying the words of God. In our day of fast-paced ingestion and digestion, uh, we don't leave ourselves much time for contemplation, for thinking, for taking it all in. We get the beat, but miss the melody and the arrangement of the gospel song. If we are not willing to slow down and take a long look we will continually, we will continue to merely gain the smallest glimpse of God, what God wants us to have and not the God-sized vision and the benefits and reward. Here are six helps for meditating today and tomorrow and the next day. Number one, read the passage several times. Read the passage several times. Do we really think we've got it after one reading? It's almost kind of like we're treating the Bible as a genie lamp. If I read it, if I just read the words, 
God's got to act. But do we enjoy it? Do we pour over the verses? Do we take our time? You know, I think this could be a possibly one of the dangers in a reading plan of reading the whole Bible in a year or uh, reading a whole Bible in two years. It's not so much the quantity that you read, but the quality of what you're reading. Not so much quantity, but the quality of our reading. So read a passage several times. Write it down. This helps more than you can imagine. Don't, you don't have to write down the entire passage, but put pencil to paper where the word is striking at your heart. When you read six or seven or a whole chapter of, of verses, what does God's Spirit say to you? What verse jumps out at you? Write that down. And then ask a lot of questions. Here are some questions as you read. What does this passage first tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about my heart condition? My sinfulness? My neediness? And then ask, what should I do? Or what should I stop doing? Or what should I start believing in response to this passage? Fourthly, pray through it. Ask God to open your eyes. Help you understand and receive His Word and to sanctify you through it just as Jesus prayed. In our elementary small group time, before we start anything with God's Word, we go to... Psalm 100, is it Psalm 118? Somewhere there we says, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. That would be a great verse to memorize. And anytime you go to the Word, just say that. God, open my eyes to behold the wonderful things in your Word. And then pray through the passage that you are reading. Five, revisit the passage throughout the day. Revisit the passage throughout the day. You can do this via your memory or by opening the Word. Uh, use your lunch break or downtime between meetings or projects to seek the Lord and the Word that you've been taking in for that day. Let that Scripture penetrate your prayers as you go through the day. And then six, share it with someone. Share it with someone when the opportunity presents itself. And... If you're looking, the opportunity will present itself. You may not have done this before, but when the Word is in your heart, when it's on your heart and you interact with the people God has placed around you, you are more than equipped than you can imagine. Maybe for this group of people I should say, yeah, you can share it on Twitter, what you're reading. You can share it on Facebook. But share it with those you can actually look into their eyes and say it to them. Well, where do I start? Maybe this sounds intriguing to you. Where do I start? Uh, I brought some, just some resources. These are not all the resources. I just want to point out, uh, this is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Every story whispers His name. This book is not just for children. This book is for everybody. We use this in our children's church during the school year. And I've had teachers tell me as they look at the lesson plan and as they read through these stories and as parents read these stories to their children, this is one of their favorite books. Tim Keller said that every person going to seminary and every parent, this is a must-read. Put this on your list. This book. 
will give you the big picture of Scripture and it shows you how every story whispers the name of Jesus. This would be a great uh, starting point. Um, I know Woodland did this a while back and I saw these and I asked Catherine to order some more and we've got several out there on the little announcement bulletin board thing. The Essential 100 Bible Reading Plan. 100 key passages that tell you the scope of Scripture. The whole story. If those are available. If 100 passages are too much for you, uh, I found something that printed off the sweep of the Bible in two weeks. The sweep of the Bible in two weeks. There are two weeks worth of readings that can tell you the heart of God, the story of Scripture. But don't stop at these. These get you started. These are the appetizer to enjoying the meal, the banquet that is God's Word. Those are all available out there. We just asked for a $10 donation for this one. How is your faith? Is it strong or weak? I have never known a Christian who did not have a, who did not have much scripture meditated and even memorized. A strong Christian who did not have much scripture meditated or memorized. And the reason for this is God has designed faith to feed on the promises of scripture all day long. Faith depends for its life on steady access to precious biblical truth. The book of Proverbs says, It will be pleasant if you keep the words of the wise within you, that they may be ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. How is your trust, your confidence, your peace, joy, and assurance? Are they strong or weak? God says that He has given us His Word so that it will be within us and that we may trust in Him. Faith rises or falls to the degree that it feeds hourly on the treasure of God's truth stored in the heart. Pray with me for that desire. And then let's get busy striving for the joys and rewards of Scripture. This is where we find the very heart's of God. Father, take your word. Calls us to have a desire for your word. Father, you have this is the way you have revealed your heart. This is the way you have revealed your plan that you have had even before the beginning of creation. To see the beauty and the rescue of your son. To come and meet our biggest need to bring us back to you. As our life begins with the Word, then Father, help us to know we cannot be sustained. We cannot be joyful without the Word of God being penetrated into our hearts. Make this our desire. Make this our practice in your name.
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is unlike any book you'll ever read. It's unlike any film you'll ever see. As you read the Bible, the Bible is actually reading you. God's Word has the power to enter the deepest recesses of our being, expose our deepest need, and then, like a sharp surgeon's scalpel, cut away everything from doubt to defense that keeps us from obeying God's Word. Keeps us from being changed into the image of Christ. God's revelation of Himself and His story of rescue and relationship is what begins our life, but it's also what allows us to truly live. Let's be a people that live by the Word. 